Hey folks, we are back. Episode number 21. Now Sam, let me ask you a question. It's episode 21. Does that mean we are finally legal to drink on the show? Uh, well, legal to drink. We on have been underage drinking. <laughs> We've been underage drinking. Uh, we have an excellent guest today. Uh, Common Council President, Michael Galimi. Good enough yeah. to give us a lot of his time. Friend of the show and a friend even before that. Happy oh, to yeah. have him on. Hell of a saxophone player, that Indeed. guy. Indeed. We should have gotten him to play the live sax intro on the show. You know what? He said that to me before he came in. He's like, you should have told me to bring the sax. I, I think like, maybe we should start doing live music on the show sometimes. Only if it's politicians. Let's talk about that during the break. <laughs> All right. Hey, Aaron's here already. Oh, my God. The show's here. Let's do it. Kev, where I spill my guts about whatever is concerning me or how crummy my week has been, and you have to make me feel right. Huh? That being said, Aaron's here for segment one today, and you have not been here for two weeks. And this is your chance if you want to commiserate about how crummy things have been and feel better before we get into the show. This is your chance, Higgins. Things are so crummy. <laughs> it's so is that good? It happened. It was pretty good. I bought that. <laughs> right? Bought it was that. pretty efficient. I definitely bought that. It's nice. I got I think, right to the point. It's nice. You know what? We figure since you're back, we might as well be on all of them. We do have a lot to talk about today, a lot of stuff. So we're just going to have a whole show with Higgins because we never know when we're going to get you. So we got to get you on. It's been, a crazy, it's been a crazy few weeks, guys. You, I tell you what, every time that I feel like I'm busy and I feel like my life is really hectic, I just talk to you and I'm like, <laughs> so Aaron, what's going on in the last two hours? I'm like, oh wow, my life is slow. I feel like I live on an <laughs> like, island in the Caribbean. Oh, I want to go to an island in the Caribbean. Let's with go. You? Let's go. Right. Is it Caribbean or is it Caribbean? Whatever, man. It's like caramel or caramel. I feel like it's one of those things. Like, say what you want. You know what I'm talking about. I was always curious. I always said, hey. I always said Caribbean. I would of the like vibe. to start. I think we should maybe just start using both in context. Like, oh, I went to the Caribbean. It was so nice in the Caribbean. What's that? <laughs> I'm gonna start calling it carabiner. Isn't that those things you yeah. have like yes. on your? Perfect. Yeah. I, went to the, I went to the carabiner. Back when oh. we were all scene kids in bands, every single mm. kid had their keys mm. on a carabiner. Just in case belt. you had to climb something, well, you had to repel. Was know. that before or after the wallet chain was in popular? Oh, way after. Wallet chain was like seventh grade, maybe. Guys, wallet chains were so cool. I definitely so want, cool. There was, there was definitely a point in time in my life where I thought having a wallet chain was cool. I had one. I don't know if I ever did. I don't think I did. I don't think I ever got that far, but I did think it was cool for a while. I had one. Did you? It was uh, It was a couple different strands, and it would be like a chain, and then one was like fake pearls, because I, oh. la- I was a lady. Right, a lady. Was. was. Emphasis on the was a lady. I'm 30 now. It's all <laughs> gone to pot. But. Fair enough. Uh, but. The jingling made me upset. I couldn't do it. For considering you haven't been here for two weeks, yeah, you've got a lot of exciting announcements here for the people. One, I'm alive. Well, one is that you're alive. Yay! And number two focuses on the GoFundMe that we have had in our account for a long time and have been looking for <laughs> yes. a reason to use. Every time we want to use it, it seems to get sort of we get cut out from underneath. But Aaron, this was your big idea. You wanted to do something for the holidays with the GoFundMe. So you want to pitch? What yes, you're doing we here? finally got our GoFundMe page up and running. 
You can check it out. It's going to be linked uh, via our Twitter. Yeah, I'll put it on Twitter. We're going to link it a bunch of times. We're going to link it a handful of times. We are doing Operation Uticast. Boom. Which is going to be in conjunction with the fine folks at Operation Sunshine to raise money for all the projects that Operation Sunshine is working on. We've set a $1,000 limit. We have no time limit yet. Uh, it'll at least be a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably over a little bit over ideally, a month. Ideally, I think we'd like to knock it out before Christmas. If yeah, we could get ideally, up to $1,000 before I, Christmas, I would be blown away by that level of generosity. We are hoping, we have been so blessed here at the Uticast with people that have been so kind to us and so supportive that we felt it was time for us to put together um, uh, like a forum where people could give back to the rest of Utica. So please go on and look at our Operation Uticast in conjunction, like I said, with Operation Sunshine and all the wonderful uh, projects they're working on for the holidays. And donate, donate, donate. I will be, we'll be pushing this every single week. Yes, it is that uh, it is that time of year as a guy uh, who I do get like seasonal depression occasionally. Oh, I'm depressed right in. now. So uh, stuff like this, <laughs> doing good stuff for the good people of this town who aren't quite as fortunate as us, is a nice way. Yeah, we are to, incredibly fortunate. Well, it does feel like there's a little bit of as as people who have a bit of a voice. You know, there's a couple people who I know do listen to the show and like to listen every week and stuff like Two or three. that. As people who who have a voice, you know, we might as well. We always talk about different things we can do for the city. We all do different projects for the city. We may as well take this platform, try to do something truly amazing for people on the holidays. And we can't do it without everybody who happens to be listening to this episode and all the episodes following. Exactly. Just remember, folks, you don't have to donate a lot. A little bit from everybody is all we need. It goes a long way. It really goes a long way. We're hoping to raise $1,000 would be... An, an unbelievable gift to give back to the city. So go on, look at our page. I do think it's important to say, too, our goal is $1,000, but if we raise $20, we're still giving it. We, oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah. We can raise $10 and give it and be super proud. So thank you for from us in, in advance. A, thank a you. preemptive thank you. A preemptive thank you from here at the uh, Uticast. I do want to tie this in. Uh, Kev, you were talking about how it's nice to have a little bit of a voice. Here's a secret for you. Aaron Higgins has a more than a little bit of a voice. Erin Higgins does have a little bit more than a voice, and she I don't know if she wants us to tell all the people. Number one, I really don't. Erin Higgins has a beautiful singing voice. She'll tell you she doesn't, but she does. She's a, like a great, great singer. It's like a bag of cats. Well, you know what? Luckily, you folks can judge for yourselves, <laughs> because this Friday at the Utica Comets game, our dear Erin Higgins will be singing, what's it, the National Anthem? I'm gonna just... do, I've been upgraded from Canadian to American. Because you told us you were singing at the Comets game, yes. but I didn't know if they were going to have you go out there and do like a free song review. Or it's if you just, were it's do a the quick National Broadway Anthem. standby. But are you going to like dance a little bit? I was weighing the pros and cons. Just depends how, you should. Depends how uh, many hand, like, hand gestures I can work into the National now, Anthem. Just, just hear me out. I think you should have someone push a piano onto the ice and play it, and you should cabaret-style lay on the piano while doing the National Anthem. That'd be pretty good. I'm not above it. I know. <laughs> it seems oh. like it's right in your wheelhouse. It does. Uh, speaking of right, speaking of not above it, guess who just moved in above us in our apartments at the Uticast headquarters? So for anybody who doesn't know, uh, the Uticast headquarters is code word for the apartment that we live in. <laughs> yes. And like so many people around the area, we live in an old two-family house in South Utica. So we've got an apartment downstairs and upstairs. They're pretty identical and stuff like that. And they're beautiful. Uh, yeah. They're you know, beautiful. They're we, beautiful. We got pretty lucky with what we've got here. But so we had roommates who, there were not roommates, but there were people who lived upstairs when me and Sam moved into this place. And they were, you know, there. They were nice. They were there. They were, uh, they were certainly there. And they moved out a couple of months ago and it's been empty. So we finally just had two friends of ours uh, move in upstairs. Yeah. And I have to tell you, as much as I enjoy having 
close friends in close proximity. I am disappointed because I got comfortable not sharing the driveway. That's it's a real downer. Uh, yeah. That's suddenly... one of the age-old issues of living in a two-family house in this town is the politics of parking in the driveway. Oh Who's going to park where? Who needs to leave when? Moving cars in and out? Stuff like that. So which friends are living upstairs? Oh, it's, I'm glad you asked. Yeah, that would be uh, your replacement host whenever you're not here, one Mr. Maiden Utica Justin Parkinson. Replacement Aaron Higgins. And Cliff Montoni from Utica Bread, who was a guest on the podcast as well. Yes, episode it's number like one. It's like Podcast City upstairs. Including the two colossal dogs and the cat as well that now live upstairs. Yeah, we got dogs and cats. I got to tell you, one of my favorite things about them moving in, because they've got, they've got both dogs... And I would love to have a dog. I don't feel like I'm at a point in my life where I can dedicate to, like, raising a dog. I don't have the time for it right now. Mm-hmm. So it's nice because I, you know, and I don't have any nieces or nephews yet that they will come soon enough. But I feel like it's almost in a way like having nieces and nephews where it's like, man, I want to hang out with the dogs. So I'll go upstairs. I'll play with the dogs. Get them all riled up. Take and them outside. Leave. Run around. And then, leave. then I'm like, all right, I'm going downstairs. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Good luck with your animals. <laughs> all right. That's um, been pretty nice. That's got to be great. Uh the next segment's going to be a little heavier than that, so I'm glad we got out most of this. This is the part of the segment where I would normally crack a beer to uh, get the show going. Unfortunately, we're out of beer, so I'm going and to... And we are also out of beer because of our new upstairs neighbors. Yes, of yes. course. Thank so you. I'm going to open this seltzer and hope that it makes a <laughs> it sound. It was so anticlimactic. It was very anticlimactic. I was waiting for it, too. And, uh, and we're going to go on to the next segment. We'll be right back. We'd be remiss as a podcast to not talk about the the attacks in Paris that happened this week. Mm-hmm. It's been the hot topic of every podcast I've listened to all day since this weekend. It's been on every news media coverage with good reason. It should be. Um, a lot of people died. I'm talking 130 was the number I saw last time I looked. I'm sure it's more than that now. Not to um, mention the many injured and yeah. stuff like that, and people who still might die from injuries, and even just people regularly injured and stuff. There's no... I don't have a hot take, necessarily, on this. Um, when we talk... We've gotten to a point in time in this country now where I'm... It's just... It's so depressing to talk about it because it feels like things don't change now. It's just like another story of a terrible thing happening. But this specifically, with this... This is, you know a hard terrorist attack from the way it's presenting. Do you think that terrorism is our generational problem? Like, this is the problem that we are going to have to handle as this generation for our children and our children's children? Is this the biggest issue for our generation? Um, man, there's so much to say. Like, I think that, you know, we, I really, I really believe that I could probably, I feel like we could spend an hour just talking about, you know, terrorism and what it's meant since 9-11 and everything like that. Um, I think that there's a lot of credence to the notion that, you know, you don't want to say too much because you don't want to offend people. And it's a horrible thing that's happened. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's, it's one of the saddest things in the world. I can't imagine these people on a Friday night at a concert or at a cafe or whatever, being in this situation and dealing with this. Um, I think that nobody, anytime something like this happens, you'll see a lot of people in uh, certain wings of the media being like, you know, 
we should nuke them all and we should be doing more. And you'll see a lot of people. You don't see many people talking about what are the roots of this terrorism and what is terrorism and why is it effective? Um, Franklin D. Roosevelt is probably his most famous quote he ever said is, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. And I think that's important to remember because, you know, for as horrible as this thing is, and, you know, I remember feeling this way a bit after 9-11, although I was 16, so I didn't really have much of a developed worldview at that point. But I remember thinking, you know, if, if we sit here and we change our lives and we act, you know, scared of everything and we just let the government continue to take away more liberties in, you know, some sense of security, like they're like they're covering for us. And, you know, if we just give away all these liberties so they can guard from the evil scourge of terrorism, at the end of the day, for as terrible as this was, statistically, you're much more likely to die a lot of other ways than via terrorism. And terrorism at its very nature is meant to scare people into acting a certain way. And if we change everything about what we do or how we live, then the terrorists really do win. Uh-huh. And But yes, this is something that I think, this is, I feel like this is probably the beginning. We will probably deal with this for generations and there will be yeah. different attacks and there will be different dust-ups and things like this to happen. And it's, it's the saddest thing in the world because I don't know what you do about it. And it's sad to tell, to tell a little kid today or something, you know. Yeah, this is probably going to happen more because I don't know how you stop something like this from happening. It's really, really interesting don't. that you said you know that thing about nine eleven because the comparisons have been made. You know, obviously, clearly nine eleven was was significant, and but what you said about being so young when we had nine eleven and it was you know not understanding it didn't make any sense to me. It didn't I, make I, any sense, and it didn't. You you almost couldn't. Wrap your. I still can't wrap my mind around what it what it was and what happened in the. I remember on I remember on nine eleven. I remember when, um, me and my buddy were hanging out at my house after school or whatever, and we were watching the news because it was literally the only thing on TV that day, and we were watching it from perspective like, man, this is pretty crazy. Like, wow, this is wild. Like you said, not having a worldview, and I remember my dad when he got home from work and he came and he was looking at it and he said to both of us, he's like, you know. He's like, this is, he's like, you know, this is, nothing's ever going to be the same. He's like, this is going to change everything. And at the time, I'm like, ah, you, what do you mean? And then as you grow with it and you see what happens, like, it really did change everything going forward. Everything, you know, policy related in this country, both foreign and domestic, is touched by 9-11 and what happened. Right, let's tie that around to this day. Uh, France has already bombed various locations. Like, oh, yeah. locations. They, yeah. They're not interested in waiting. Uh, well, here's, this, they turned this, right is, around and bombed Syria. Is this the biggest thing? Is this the biggest French terrorist attack that's ever happened in, in, the, in our modern generation? Like, this uh, is, this in is modern to, generation, this is going to since, since the French guess, Revolution or when the I, Nazis marched I, into Paris. Yeah, I miss I miss place my what I wanted to say there. Okay. What I'm saying is is this France's 9/11 necessary? Is this their Call. moment of yeah. to some degree probably? But this is this realization. This is going to go be. to this is going to go to something that I've seen and I've you know I've told you guys uh, you know privately we've had conversations where. Some, you know, different things you you see, you've seen a lot on social media about this, a lot of outpouring. I saw a lot of people share the article about, oh, French bombed, you know, this ISIS headquarters and this and that. They're like, and people are commenting like, yeah, this is what they should be doing. We should have been bombing them too, but Obama's scared. The French and the Americans have been bombing ISIS for 13 months now. And so it gets shared now because it's relevant, but these people have been bombing, but it's tough because you can't bomb an idea. You can't bomb an ideology, and I think it's it's uh, complete. You know, you've got it the complete wrong way. If you're like, well, 
They shouldn't be letting all these Syrian refugees in if they're saying all Muslims are culpable because that's not the case, and that's ridiculous. Thirteen states now have closed their borders to Syrian refugees. Yeah. Thirteen states in America have closed. I think uh, the last I checked, the count was 13. Texas was the 13th. And people say, because how do you know if you're, you know, you, oh, well, they've obviously let these terrorists in. These are who the refugees are running from. Mm-hmm. The reason there's refugees is because there's people like the people who shot up Paris. The reason we have the like refugees in the in the camp, in the working camps and, and mm-hmm. the things that are happening in Hungary. I mean, it's because they're dealing with all these these terrorists on a daily basis. They're their neighbors. They're the next mm-hmm. door people from the you know they're right there. You got to think too. Like for me, it's tough because I I am Syrian. I'm like I'm half Syrian. My parents were yeah. all like 100 Syrian, but we were we were raised. Syrian Catholic, right? So even the idea of, like, the Muslim religion still sort of, I can't relate to it in that way. I can yeah. relate to being Middle Eastern, but this idea of the conflict right. you can, between you can, theologies doesn't, doesn't you can You can head. relate to, like, grape leaves and hummus, but you can't relate to jihad. That makes sense. Right, right. But here's the right. thing. I don't think a lot of people... Okay, I, I, I don't... We don't talk about politics on here. We don't talk about religion on here very much for obvious reasons. But I do want to just – I want to go off on just something for a second, okay? Okay. Um, I was listening to a podcast today on the way home, uh, Sam Harris, who people may or may not know who he is. Yep. He's a notorious uh, – he speaks a lot about religion. I don't necessarily agree with everything he has to say, but I do agree with some of the things he has to say, right? Mm-hmm. When we look at something like this that happens, like you watch like a journalist get killed – or terrorists blow up a building, right? And we think this is the most horrible thing we've ever seen. Like, this is, I don't want to see this. This is terrible. For them, they don't think of what they're doing as evil, necessarily. They are culminating the end of a, whatever it is that they're trying to find, right? Yeah. Uh, this is the end point of something. It's not evil to them because they are doing what they're supposed to do to get rid of the infidels or the people who are ruining their religion for them. They don't see it in terms of good or evil. That's why you don't see Obama going out and saying Muslims are evil. Because that's not the point. That's not true. No. But people kind of want him to say that, right? Isn't that what people are looking for? They want to find a scapegoat? And there's not because there's no scapegoat when it's a theological idea. Like what Kevin just said, you can't bomb an ideology. And it's, just, it's so hard to put a, a tack in what you're angry about. For a society that's gotten so used to um, thinking and learning and digesting news in little sound bites mm-hmm. and bullet points and list articles and stuff like that, the this whole issue, everything from you know terrorism to the issues in the Middle East to the differences between religion, is such a complex thing that it makes people feel uncomfortable and scared because yeah. it's not it's it's a lot and there's so much to it. And you know you see certain people you know. I think that's why you see something like the outpouring of like you'll notice anybody with a social media account. If you have Facebook, you've noticed every single Facebook profile has the French flag over it now. And you see some people out there and they're saying, you know, I've I've done this. I'm sending my prayers to Paris and this and that. And that realistically, that does nothing. And that's just like, hey, look at me. I'm a good person. Pat me on the back. Don't forget about me today. Promoting yourself. But it's it's 100% promotion of yourself. But by that same token, I think the reason you see some of that stuff is because people – don't know how to respond. They're like, I don't know what to do. If I do this Facebook thing, at least I can show that, you know, I see this and I'm not comfortable with this and I don't know what to do, but I I see that something has happened here. Also, you talked about the Veterans Day thing. You go up on Veterans Day and everybody has a picture or a story of how they're I'm I will side segue on Veterans Day because you, Sam, you and me specifically, we talked on Veterans Day 
and I was I was really really annoyed. I have uh, my grandfather was a World War II veteran. He was at Pearl Harbor when the Japanese attacked. I have various uncles that have served uncles and cousins and friends who have served in the military, so have probably been through different wars, different things. Um, you know, veterans deserve our utmost respect. I always say, you, you know, the reason I have respect for veterans is because I could never do that. Exactly. I could, and like, not yeah. I could, not I could never go to war. I could never go to basic training. It wouldn't work. <laughs> really, <laughs> though, like, I, couldn't, I couldn't sign the paper. You know what I mean? Like, I couldn't it, walk into it, the thing and sign the paper. It wouldn't happen. But so, like, for me though, I saw on Veterans Day, and Veterans Day is another one where you see everybody on their Facebook, and everybody's like. This and that. Pray for our veterans. I'm so thankful for the veterans and sharing these different pictures. And that's all fine and good, and I'm not saying they're wrong. But I watch all these people out there, and I'm like, you're just doing this so you can be like, hey, look at me. Look how supportive I am of this. Pat My me on the back for being a good person. I win the compassion competition. I beg right. of everybody. And if this show, you know, hopefully is still going on next year for Veterans Day, I'm going to push this ahead of Veterans Day. But I wish that every Veterans Day for every single person who wants to make a Facebook status – a tweet, an Instagram post, anything like that, anything you want to do, instead of making that post or along with making that post, I want you to get on your email server or I want you to get out a pen and a paper, which are still things we have, and I think you should write a letter to your congressman and talk about the fact that Congress, specifically the right side of the Congress, not to make it a political issue, but write whatever congressman you have and write them a letter about stopping defunding the VA. These congressmen go out here every session, every time, and they don't support our veterans. And they'll go down to their swing states and their stump speeches, and they will say, oh, you know, we got to take care of our veterans and our military and, you know, all that rah, rah, rah bullshit. What everybody should do instead of writing a Facebook status on Veterans Day about how you support the veterans, support your veterans by writing a letter to your congressman about taking care of these damaged people who got shot at, who have PTSD, Mm -hmm. who are missing limbs, who can't see Write a letter so that the United States of America can take care of those people and the sacrifice they made because I guarantee you they would rather have money and a well-funded VA hospital to take care of their issues and their families and everything when they come back than they would your dumb Facebook status that you only got nine likes on anyway. It's a fair point. If you don't get 50 likes, it's pointless. Um, (laughs) We've talked a lot about gun control here. We've talked about it before in the show. Does it surprise you? with the access to weaponry, especially military weaponry that most citizens have, that Let me, things like this don't happen more often or that maybe things like this aren't reported more often well, because it's not in Paris, France or Paris, Paris. Paris being different than the United States, the the devil's advocate, because I listen to, when I'm in the car and stuff, I like to listen to talk radio. Yeah. I don't always do podcasts because I do have a data plan. Um, but like you hear the the devil's advocate argument from the conservative side of the spectrum is – you look at Paris, they have some of the tightest gun control laws in the world. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these guys say, hey, you know, if there had been more citizens there with guns, somebody could have popped one of these terrorists early. Right. Do you give any credence to that? No, I don't. No, no, I don't. I'll tell you why. I don't think so either. Because somebody, I saw an interesting thing on, uh, on Gawker last week about this where they showed a picture of the minute before mm. uh, Reagan got, assass- got shot at, right? The yeah. attempt assassination. They, and the, it was, the argument was, well, if all these people, if these people had guns, they could use the good people with guns can stop the evil people with bad guns. Well, there were ten guys standing there on Reagan who were all security guards who had guns and they still fired at him. It didn't stop him from it didn't stop bad people from doing things. We, and it doesn't necessarily mean when bad people with guns do things, good people with guns have to kill them. That's not necessarily one and two. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. And we have to striate here because we're talking about two separate things. We can talk about gun control laws and we can talk about things that are happening in America, but that made and you know, all the horrific Horrific shootings that are happening 
countrywide, and we can talk about terrorism because those two things are are two very separate right. separate beasts. And you know, we talk about the issues in terrorism and and the the their access to military grade weaponry, and then we talk about what happens in the in America, which is you know, a small microcosm of what could be happening in the world with the college shootings and the mass shootings and the shooting people in parking lots and, and all those horrible things that have now become so second nature to us that when I read them, I go, oh, look, another school shooting, and you keep scrolling through your Twitter feed because it happens so regularly, and that boils down to the mental health system a lot of the times. True. And so you have to go back, and that's like a completely different animal. I want to share a story with you guys before we close up this this Paris stuff, uh, and I think it ties into a little bit of what we're talking about, okay? And it's gonna, give me a minute to get in here, okay? Last night, the Green Bay Packers had a football game. You all wear the Green Bay Packers. Dur- before the game started at Lambeau Field, they had a moment of silence for the Paris terrorist victims. Every sporting event yesterday Every, did. every sporting yep. event did, right. During the moment of silence, I saw this. Packers no, fans I saw this. went out and started chanting, Muslims suck. And all sorts of derogatory things during the moment of silence. To which uh, all-star quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers, talked about this. He addressed it in remarks after the game. This was his quote. It's this kind of prejudicial ideology, prejudicial ideology, that puts us in this position that we're in today as a world. That's the whole statement, okay? I think that's a phenomenal statement. I think that's a great statement for a guy in his position to make because guys in his position who have good, comfortable lives and are surrounded by the media and advertising groups who pretty much tell them what to say made a point to say something in a public forum to talk about a real issue in America. And what we got were people on comment boards being like, stick to football, jerk off, right? You know what I mean? Like, that's... Well, we face this every time an athlete comes out and says anything about anything that's not about his sport. We talk, and we've talked about this before. We've had this conversation when we, when we, uh, I can't even think of which athlete it was now, but one of them came out and said something. Oh, the uh, coach of the Ravens came out in support of Donald Trump's immigration policy, and that sounds about right. We talked about it. And we, the Harbaugh, yeah, the, Harbaugh, yeah. the, who turns out to be as crazy as the first Harbaugh. Yeah, they're but both scumbags. We, you know, and so people coming out and saying something, people are going to say whatever they want, and Aaron Rodgers is going to. If that's how Aaron Rodgers feels, guess what? He had the public forum. He should have said whatever he wanted to say. But you're going to have backlash no matter if he says People will say stick whatever. to football when they don't agree. But if they had agreed, they wouldn't have said that. If he'd come out and been like, right. we should nuke the Middle East, those people would have loved him. I think in an Aaron Rodgers position, I think it takes a lot of balls. Lots especially of balls. when you work in a Not place like... Not balls either. When you, <laughs> ah, yo, <laughs> Got him. Um, but when you when you you know work and make your living in a place like Green Bay, Wisconsin, where... Yeah. You know, not that not that Wisconsin is the most red of the red states, but there's a lot of people out there Heartland who are low-information yeah. idiots who think we should execute every Muslim because they don't know any better. To come out and take that risk when you have advertisers and you have sponsors and you have this forum, you didn't need to say anything. But the fact mm-hmm. that you came out and you said what I think needed to be said because In I agree with you. In an incredibly well-stated, eloquent way. But doesn't, but doesn't this speak to a greater problem with the actual discourse between people in this country now, the way we have to respond, the way we respond to each other. We don't have discourse anymore. It's all single comments and like hot takes instead of actual discourse, right? Everybody, yeah, everybody is so like stuck in their ways and their opinion and everybody's so extreme 
to the point where like you know we were sitting here and there have been there have been not, especially today it was such a sensitive issue there have been like nine or ten times we've been on the podcast so far i'm sitting in the dining room of my home talking to like four listeners and i'm like well should i say this i don't know if i should because the backlash and people are so people are so polarized these days like everybody is so polarized and backed into their corner and they're like if you say one thing that refutes what I believe, I'm not going to take you seriously as a person. I'm going to demonize you. And that's the problem. We can't have a discussion. We can't meet in the middle. If, you know, Sam, if I feel one way and you feel the other way and they're complete polar opposites, a lot of people aren't capable or comfortable having the conversation without being like, well, you're wrong and you're an idiot and I'm not going to listen to you. And that's a real problem that we face it becomes sniping you start sniping at people like here's my point and you're wrong no here's my point it's so it's so easy with so many different media outlets so many different places to get your news everybody thinks they're they're a professional everybody who with a twitter thinks they're a professional spokesperson for what's happening and people just surround themselves with an echo chamber like if i'm everything jerks with a podcast if you believe believe a certain thing you can Uh, only read and listen to if you want to you can listen to news sources that just confirm what you have to say and don't yeah, challenge your exactly. beliefs well, because everybody's got their own echo chamber they can retire to. Well, that's that's that ties into the way we've presented, the way we consume media now because there are so many different forms of media. Everyone has their own niche. Everyone has their own niche, and that's another problem, too. You can only you can just back up your own arguments and never hear anyone else's arguments. Let's, uh, let's move on. This was very heavy. And right along the line of political discourse, we had an excellent interview this week. I sat down with a longtime friend of mine and a man who politically stands on a different side of the uh, different of side of the color spectrum, spectrum right? Um, but I voted for him anyway because mm-hmm. I think that he is the right choice, regardless of our also a hell of a saxophone player. Hell, hell of a saxophone player! <laughs> oh my god, he's so good. <laughs> he calls, god. In the interview, he called himself a competent musician, and I said, "Yeah, okay." <laughs> <laughs> I can barely play my instrument. So <laughs> we, I can barely play. So. Um, we were honored and privileged to have uh, sitting Common Council president, the new, the new president of the Utica Common Council, of Michael Jalimi, and we had him for 18 minutes. And he's a great guy, so here we go. Presbyterian home a couple days ago, right. and I was visiting my grandmother, and my Aunt Dolores was there. And my Aunt Dolores, for those people who went to Proctor High School, was the head of the math department uh-huh. at Proctor High School. Yes. Uh, and she was very excited that you were that you had won and that you were running, and she was very proud of you. Um, do you feel like uh, Do you feel like it was nice to have this community support behind you? Did it feel nice to have so many people like pushing for you? Hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. Um, I. Because I, I'm so rooted in Utica, yeah, and I've always kind of uh, bucked the trend mm-hmm. of and wanted to stay here, yeah, up until just recently, I would say the trend. But uh, I, I'm incredibly proud to have the support mm-hmm. just throughout the entire population, whether it's uh, retired teachers or elderly or or you know people with families, young families, uh, young kids coming out. And actually yeah. I've even had high school kids come up to me and say that they're just excited that I, uh, 
well, I was running, and now that I've won. It's yeah. it's true. And again, congratulations. And for uh, we have Michael Gleamy, the president of the Common Council. President-elect. President-elect. Yes. I know. Yes. I pretty know. soon. Know. Pretty soon. Yes. January. I have faith. Yes. Well, January, <laughs> January 1st will be the uh, swearing yeah. in. Mm, and that's exciting. when everything will be official. Uh, so I want to get, uh, before we get too far into the politics, I want to start with you and your story, because okay. I've known you and your family going back for a very long time. Mm-hmm. You have a wonderful, supportive set of parents who I've known personally for the years are great people. You have wonderful brothers and sisters. How do you think that's affected the campaign and how it affected you going forward? It's obviously beneficial to have this support system behind you, but is it nice to have people you can reach out with for help for pretty much free? Definitely. <laughs> definitely. Um, and, and with every little bit of that, though, I've uh, tried to reflect as much support mm-hmm. back to them mm-hmm. because it was a great support to have, you know, first my wife. Yeah. I've got two little kids. Yeah. Congratulations. You know, uh, you know they're going on two and six. And for Too's me, yeah, yeah, and, you know, and, and throughout the summer, my wife's a teacher, right. she's off for the summer, which is great, mm-hmm. uh, but when she went back to work in September, I mean, oh, yeah. she did have to really do a lot more mm-hmm. than normal, I would say, I just because I was ca- I was campaigning, and, and I had to get out of work and, and keep campaigning, and it was nonstop. Yeah, and that's an interesting point. You were doing... Uh, you went to University of Rochester. Yes. And your degree was in optics, you said? Optics. In personal management. Lasers. Lasers. Yes. <laughs> so you were working You were working high-tech stuff then when you got done with college. Yeah, Mostly. yeah. Still am. Yeah. Still am. Yeah. So you didn't have to quit your job when you decided to do this? No, no, no. Really? These, these jobs are, um, they're considered part-time. Mm-hmm. It will be a full-time commitment. Yeah. But uh, all of the council positions are... You know, supposed to be people from the community mm-hmm. who can step up yeah. while they have their career and their family, mm-hmm. and and support the community in a good way. Yeah, that's interesting. I never yeah. knew that. Yeah. See, I learned something today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, I do want to say, you know, campaigning must be such a such a strain, though. Like, how did was there like a palpable feeling of relief when it was over, even before you knew what the results were going to be? Was there a moment when you were just like, "This is we've done all we can do, and now we just got to hope that the"? I think <laughs> it was a little different for me. Yeah. I I've been planning this for a long time, uh-huh. and I kind of had an idea of uh, what I had to do. I hadn't done it before. You know, anytime you do something new, uh, I did have somebody that I could bounce things off of. That's yeah. Mello Testa. Oh yeah, Mello. Okay, I know Mello Testa. Yeah, Mello cares. <laughs> And we all remember that, right? Um, But in all seriousness, um, I tried to do every single thing right Mm. to the best of my abilities. Mm. And it got to a certain point about a couple days before the third Mm. in which I had just gone over the point of I know I had done everything I could have accomplished in the campaign. Mm. And I was happy with the way I did it. So I didn't have any regrets. So it wasn't yeah. when election when when that night came, it wasn't whether I won or lost. Mm-hmm. It was really a celebration of everything, everyone together, my family, my friends, you know, mellow. There's there's so many people that I could list names. I don't want to start going through sure. the list because then you forget people. But uh, <laughs> so many people that, uh, that that helped me along the way, and it was just it was great because we did it. We did a great job. Regardless of the outcome. Now, this might be a, this might be a, a sort of a simple question, but it's always something I'm curious, especially with, in the politics field. You were working another job. You had a college degree. 
why did you decide you wanted to do this? Was there a moment where you realized to yourself, like, I think I can do this? Or was it just something that you felt there was an opportunity for? Or was this something you had always thought about doing? I've always thought about it to the yeah. point of yeah. kids we went to high school with mm. have called me and congratulated me, not because they were happy that yeah. I had won, but literally verbatim what they tell me is you were talking about this in high school and it's just awesome that you you came all this way and, and made it happen. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, I got out of college. I knew I always wanted to live in Utica. Mm-hmm. So I based my career choice around that. Yeah. You know, you know I'm a musician. Oh yeah. And and hell of a musician. Right. Capable. I'm capable. <laughs> I'm right? capable. Yeah, yeah. That's I'll just I'll just call it capable. That's what I say too. Yeah. And and but I wanted to live here. So I yeah. went and got an engineering degree. I went and, you know, studied personnel management mm-hmm. and did those things so I could root myself here and really build uh, a life with my family, mm-hmm. you know. And basically it got to the point where, you know, we're stable. We have our college loans paid off. We have two kids, and I was at the point where I was ready to contribute, and uh, everything just lined up perfectly because this is the position that I was—I really always wanted to obtain. Well, that's—and uh, that, I'm glad you mentioned the band thing uh, because I remember going to watch you and your family with the, you know, the band Charlie and, and doing the family band stuff, and right. you guys were always excellent, and it just—it exemplified that community, like that that bond of family, like that that connectiveness that's there. But also the important part about the musician thing is as a, as an elected official now, or a soon to be mm-hmm. sworn in official, uh, it still feels like you're one of us to a certain extent. Like I, I know what it's like, you know, we're in the same age range mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to have somebody in this position who I don't feel lives in a different time frame in a different generation mm-hmm. than the generation that's here now. Uh, and someone who on the who on the ground, who's on the ground floor, who can watch the good things that are happening. It does feel empowering to have someone who feels like speaks for us. Okay. Uh, and that ties into a little bit about my voting as well, okay. because I went to vote for you. Full disclosure. Right. I, don't need, I don't need to. Uh, I don't need to placate you at this point. In time I voted for you. Okay. But right. you are. Thank you. You're very well. was appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> but you were the first person in years that forced me to vote. Republican. So I got a question for you. Yes, go ahead. Did you vote for me on the Republican line or on the Independence line? On <laughs> the Independence if line. You don't mind, I did, if you don't I did mind. vote for the Independence line because I had a personal. Right. Uh, no, vibe. That, that's big, though. That's big. Um, but this is something that I've talked about. Talked a little bit uh, to Paul Mary, uh, Mayor Paul Mary about mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've moved to a point in time now where the party lines almost hurt politics. It's especially in national politics, maybe not so much in local politics, but mm-hmm. when I watch national politics and you watch the GOP debates and you watch, right? It, it seems like there's no working together anymore because everyone is so, I don't care who wins from our side as long as it's not somebody from their side. Mm-hmm. But with a person like you, I know for a fact that you are going to, you know, you're going to support and push the things that mean something to us. Yes. So it doesn't bother me to cross party lines to vote for you because I feel like we're getting to a point in time where uh, we almost need to be less partisan and more bipartisan going forward because that's where I think politics are going. I don't know if you can. I, I would agree. Yeah. And I think uh, there's been a big push, mm-hmm. I would say, over the past couple election cycles at the state and, and the federal level mm-hmm. where we try to, with those elections, Fix politics. Mm. Fix government. Yeah. And I believe the reality is that we're going to do the opposite mm. with our generation. Yeah. 
And we're going to try and rewrite how politics work from a local level. Yeah. That's where our votes count the mm-hmm. most. Oh, yeah. And that's where we're closest to the things that, that affect us. Mm-hmm. But no different than anything else in the world, uh, there has to be an entry point to, how can I put it, like a, a new, not a new way of thinking. Because I kind of, I, I look at the way I view the Republican Party, the reason I'm a Republican, sure. as more of the older way, uh, you know, that the, the, the actual founding of the country type of way. Mm-hmm that uh, I'm a Republican and that type of thought process from the democratic side and the Republican side. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's uh, that I see way less partisanship oh, yeah. in our generation. Oh, terrible. And, and I think we're much more open to say, Oh, okay. You're a Republican. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. Cause I like you. Right. And well, that's because, what's important because I sort of resent the way that politics and news are presented to us today, right? Mm -hmm. It is all filtered through these partisan angles. You either get your news from a liberal Mm -hmm. news media or you get your news from a conservative news media and you only get the news filtered in or the politics Mm -hmm. filtered that they want to present to you. When in reality, I think people need, especially on a local level, Mm -hmm. as long as you pay attention and know what the candidates are pushing, Mm -hmm. uh, you can make a decision regardless of party at this point in time because I feel like party just hurts uh, the government process. That's just my opinion. I think that uh, – let me just say something about the sure. partisan system. Yeah. I think during the election cycle, mm. we do need, especially at the larger scale, at mm. the state and the federal level, we do need something to structure sure. who ends up running for these offices. Oh, of course. Because you can't go to the ballot in 2016 and have 16 candidates on no. the ballot. No. It, it'll be too distributed – we won't be able to make an educated decision because it's too – it could be yeah. too thin of well, a spread. And that's what I think sometimes when I watch the Republican debates now. I'm like, there's so many people. Like, how can how can you possibly pick one person when everyone sounds so different? There's so many choices. Yes, yes. Um, so I want to throw something at you. Sure. This isn't for this interview. I want you to check this out later. Oh, okay. At a later date, um, look up the how the – how primaries came about. Really? And why they came about. Hmm. Because this country has not always had primaries. Really? Yes. I have to look that up after. It's very interesting. Um, well, that's – the other thing I think is funny too, I'm a registered Democrat. But at right. the time, when I registered as a Democrat, the reason I registered was because I wanted to be able to vote in the primaries. Yeah, if I exactly. Could, if I could yeah. go back and do it now, and I probably could. I just never got mm-hmm. around to it. I would probably go back – and register as independent, but I don't like the idea of losing yes. my initial Yes, and that's my point. Vote, it's, right? I look at it like any any type of sports bracket even. Mm-hmm. What would the Sweet 16 look like if you didn't have bracketing? Exactly. It it's would the, be a disaster. Yeah, it's a madhouse <laughs> of yeah. teams. Yeah, so, I mean, that's that's really what, you know, there's a big push right now from the Independence Party, uh, which which I'm, I've, I was nominated. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't just go around and get petitions. Before the petitions were all you know signed and gathered, I was mm-hmm. nominated by the Independence Party, the sure. Conservative Party, and the Republican parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was officiated by the petitions. So, I mean, I was screened by the Independence Party, sure. and um, I agree with you know a lot of their their mantra mm-hmm. and and you know everything that they they go by. But uh, there's also a, a push to to weed out. Partisan voting, yeah, and I think it'll it'll marginalize who we're looking at to the point of it'll be very difficult to whittle it down to a couple of candidates. And it's a, it, and I, I think it'd be remiss to say uh, we talked a lot about local politics. One of the common conversations that me and Kevin have all the time outside of the show on the show, you know, um, take a shot, listeners. When I was living in New York City, 
I voted I voted in the, the last two presidential elections, and I thought to myself, my vote means nothing here. In New York City, as a Democrat, if I go out and vote for Obama, or if I don't go vote for Obama, New York City will New York will carry the entire state and make it blue. Mm-hmm. Right? Generally, at least, at least historically, from mm-hmm. last you know last well, election cycle. That's actually kind of true for Utica, believe it or not. Yeah, um, uh, and that's. Mm-hmm. It, Historically, I can't remember the exact statistic yeah. now, but I mean, Utica is over, I think it's 65% Democrat. Yeah, it, it, it does seem, and even growing up just casually, it, it always has been a moderately liberal city with the way it's, at least in my opinion, like it's a pretty, uh, it's hard to, it's hard to gauge. Yeah. I've always felt like uh, we're very, um, I, think we're, I think we're forward thinking. Forward thinking. That's a great way of putting yeah. it, actually. Yeah. Uh, we, we don't get we don't get quite as caught up in the old narrative as we yeah exactly once did. we're always willing um, to walk through a door that's open. <laughs> well, you know, because when so many doors slam in your face over the years, you have to go forward somehow. It could and be I, part, yeah, it could be part of it. Yeah. And I think, and that's actually a good segue into what you know what's going on. You you know you you had a great campaign. Did you think was there a point in time when you thought you were going to win, or was it always like I'm just going to do the best I can? Did you ever have a feeling like maybe we're was there a moment I guess where you said maybe this is all working? Did you have a feel that it was starting to catch on? Very late in the day on November 3rd. Yeah. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> but I refuse to – it's not that I'm negative. Sure. But I am always – Pessimistic. Cau- I, well, no. I'm always cautiously hopeful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is kind of like being pessimistic but in, in a better way. Uh, you know, I, I have a bad habit of being moderately cynical, so I'm not yeah, yeah. Well, I I'm the same way. I'm I'm I can be very cynical, but what I always do is try to take that cynicism mm-hmm. and flip it around right. so that it may be looking at a situation from a different angle, mm-hmm. and then draw positive mm-hmm. positive uh, comments and commentary out mm-hmm. of that situation. But in all seriousness, I uh, I wanted to win. That's of why course. I did all this. Sure, certainly. And I set out to do absolutely everything I could possibly do to win the election because I wanted to be in that seat. Well, and I saw the signs everywhere. And uh, and I'm yeah, we're very we're very proud of you. We were all very excited. Uh, and now that we now that you you know, you probably haven't settled in just yet. You're probably still relaxing. You're not relaxing. You're probably still on the come down from this whole Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I mean the amount of time you spend campaigning is I mean my typical day mm-hmm. when I was campaigning was um, I would get to I typically would go to Utica Roasters every morning. It's oh yeah, that's where I go for coffee. Oh yeah, kept told me I saw work, you down there a yeah. couple times. I, I, yeah, I work downtown, so that's what I, I have an espresso in the morning. But I would sign palm cards in the morning. Those mm-hmm. are the cards you leave at people's stores. Yeah, and I would hand sign all of them and prepare to go door to door. And through the summer hours. Uh, I would take my lunch and, you know, write copy for the website, write copy for the palm cards, for the commercials, scripts, all that type of stuff. And then after work, I would go to door to door. So I'd leave work and do that until it got dark. And as the time change started coming, um, I started uh, doing the same thing, show up to roasters, sign my palm cards. I would do a street or two at lunch, mm-hmm. knocking on doors. And then after work, I'd get as much mm-hmm. done as I could until – because that was, that was the basis of my entire campaign – was door to door. I carried all my own petitions. Oh yeah. I mean, people carried petitions for me as well. Yeah, because sure. We had a full slate, so I mean, there was yeah. you know I didn't get all the signatures, but I I did go out and uh, I carried petitions. And the second petitions were done, I was carrying palm cards and knocking on doors. Oh and yeah. I did. I should have brought my uh, my uh, list. I walked 
over 125 streets. Jesus. Like, like knocking on doors. <laughs> That's the way you have to do it. The people, or through a pair of shoes. Especially now, people appreciate a face, to, especially in this disconnected world we live in now where it's almost like people will just throw flyers at your door and walk yeah. away. To have that moment where you can actually connect with a person on a on a mm-hmm. cerebral level, on a, in a visceral right. face-to-face level goes a long way. Well, that was huge because I'm, I've am i been in the area my whole life. Yeah. I've been involved in the community my whole life, mm. whether it's La Banda Rosa or yeah. putting I, I put on a crazy concert at the Uptown. I mean, yeah, yeah. I was president of the Musicians Union for three years. I remember that. I mean, I have a lot of ties to the community, yeah. but politically... I had no name recognition. Yeah. So I was known as a good guy and a hard worker, mm. but not a, uh, a political uh, face. And that is something I had to overcome. And that's why you saw mm. an incredible amount of signage. Yeah. That's why I did radio. That's why mm. I did TV. That's what you have to do, man. And, and But I what I did, though, is I, I formatted a, a, a true message from me at the beginning of the campaign, mm. and that's what pushed through everything. That's what pushed through everything. Um, I've taken up a lot of your time. Uh, before I let you go, I'd be remiss. Now that you, now that you're sort of settling back in and you're moving forward, uh, Common Council President Elect. Right. What? What do you? What's your like plan going forward? Do you have an idea, a vision of what you see going forward as your as your time in office? Yes. Yeah. I have a pretty specific vision for what I'd like to see happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's stepwise, though. Sure. So I look at the current council. Yeah. And the current committee structure and the the way it operates now. And one of the things I was very uh, true to through my campaign is I want to preside over the meetings in a very structured way and an impartial way so that I can foster better conversations amongst the members of the council. Yeah, uh, That's going to create, um, you know, different kinds of conversations. It's going to create a, an environment that people will listen to each other. And uh, if you look up Robert's Rules, mm-hmm. you know, Robert's Rules of Order, we have our own version of the Rules of Order that we pass. Yeah. And essentially, if we don't cover it, it you know, defaults back to Robert's Rules. Mm-hmm. But the, the structure of how you discuss an issue and the format at which you divide questions mm-hmm. or listen to people and wait your turn. And the person who enforces that yeah, yeah. really without actually giving an opinion yeah. or adding anything to whatever's on the table, okay, mm-hmm. can make sure that both sides are represented. And mm-hmm. I saw that a lot of that when I was president of the musicians union. Yeah. It's just you don't have to have a vote. You don't have to you know forcefully change what's going on. Sure. You can you can use, you know, the, the simple power of suggestion that something might be missing from the conversation and it, and it happens. So that's, that's what I want to do. Michael, uh, competent musician, hell of a politician. I really appreciate you taking your time to come in and, uh, and speak with us and speak with the listeners. Uh, thank you so much, my friend. I really appreciate it. Thanks for uh, and this is just proof, man. Democrats and Republicans. Doesn't have to be so bad, man. We can work together. It doesn't. It doesn't. We're all good. (laughs) Thank you very much, Michael. I appreciate your time, man. And we'll be back with the show in just a moment.
That's all we need is crock prison. It's true. Uh, we'll get to crock oh prison. Oh my god, I can't stop laughing. It's like a whole notebook and it just says crock prison on well, one we'll page. Get, we'll get to crock prison in just a second. Oh, uh, that made me so happy. I do want to thank uh, I do want to thank Mike Gleamy again. Uh, very interesting, fascinating guy. You know, you know what's interesting? I want to tell you, I, the day after Mike Delimi won, I ran into him down at Utica Coffee, the day after the election, and I saw him outside, and I was like, oh, you know, congratulations, unbelievable, this is awesome for you. I'm like, so I'm like, what have you been doing all day? How is it being the president? He's like, dude, I slept in, and then I took, I took, I scraped all the decals off my car, then I took my wife to lunch, because we haven't eaten a meal together since April, and he was just like so relieved, he's like, I know there's plenty of work coming, but I can't imagine how tough it must be to go through the election cycle like that. See, I'm just saying, Gleamy's on the show, he won, Paul Mary was on the show, he, he won. won, politicians need the Uticast bump. To get over that hump in central New York, you know what I'm saying? The bump hump! The Uticast bump. Now, does anybody want to talk about the fact that Galimi came on the show after he won? <laughs> I wasn't going to yes. say anything. <laughs> yes, I wasn't going to say anything. He wanted to come on before he won, but I was like, I'll wait till you won. He got the hump bump. <laughs> no, no. He's such a good dude, and he was so nice. He is and it's so, it's so nice. funny, and we talked about it. I don't want to get too into it because we talked about it. Even though he was a Republican, I still felt like he spoke to our generation more. And that's than the type me. of discourse I hope to see moving forward. Yeah. But I can't talk. We can't talk any more politics this segment because last right. segment was so right. heavy. We have crack prison. We have crack prison. So are, Aaron, are we going to lead up? So we're basically, with crack prison this week, for we have our news with new shoes segment. News with new shoes. News. Aaron, being the busiest person in the world, I'm actually coming with the news today because you really don't want to hear news that I have. It's no, like her, I ate something her yesterday. News, her news was even more depressing than Paris, if you can believe that. <laughs> but um, on a local level, I'm, I'm going to read. I'm going to read this little headline right here for you guys and see what we think about this. Indonesia is planning to build a prison island guarded by meat-hungry crocodiles for drug convicts. <laughs> the reason for using the deadly reptiles as prison guards there is that crocodiles cannot be bribed unlike human guards. They're amphibians, and I'm mad at this article. But yeah, so in Indonesia, they're going to build a prison island for convicts, and it's going to be guarded by hungry crocodiles. Crocs they're going to can't be bribed. They're, they're going to starve these crocodiles because crocodiles can't be bribed. I don't if you've ever seen any Disney film with a crocodile, those suckers can get bribed. This sounds like a bad sci-fi movie. Croc prison. Croc prison. This is on um, the sci-fi channel at 9.30. See, here's the thing. I feel like a crocodile can be bribed. If you're trying to escape that prison, you and the other prisoner are on the way out. You push that guy into the moat. Bye. And when the gators attack him, you make your run for it. I'm That's not, the bribe, right? I it's not a bribe. I guess, but who's to say that guy doesn't push you in? Well, is that a bribe well, or is Sam, it a you're very bribe? slight. If you and I were escaping prison and one of us was going to the crocodiles, I have terrible news for you and your family. Your ass would be crack True. food. But I am less, uh, <laughs> I have less delicious uh, meat to eat. You're Wait a minute. Wait a, second. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. That conversation just got weird. You. Why is because it? you started singing. <laughs> Hold on a second. Uh, put that for put that away. Um, <laughs> I so yeah, my stud fighter do, you, do you feel like I feel like this was an idea that somebody pitched in jest and somebody went with it and they just to be honest okay. with you, I feel like I'm going to see a headline in another week that says this was a hoax. But I thought it was too good. Like when I, when I saw this, I saw this on Reddit. When I was reading it, I was dying laughing because it's Croc Prison. Croc Prison. It's I incredible. am already working on the screenplay for Croc Prison. <laughs> exactly. I tell you, give me a couple days and I'll have something. Death for bed, the bed that eats people. <laughs> you had me at Croc Prison. I'm telling <laughs> um, you, this goes along with the story. Did you guys hear the story? This is a side note about the old woman. Older woman, she was like 70 years old, who went to smuggle drugs in a jail and uh, one of those plastic Easter eggs. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Gross. I can tell by the look on your face oh, that yeah. you want to tell me where the Easter egg was. Oh. And Aaron, if you want to maintain a relationship with me, let's I'm not, not telling you anything further. about but that. I mean, like, 
Seriously, if you think about it, crocodiles would not, they don't care about your Easter eggs. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so let's move on to a new story that I found today that doesn't have anything to do with crocodiles or prison. But, take a shot, it does have to do with my time in New York. Uh, so <laughs> Take a shot. Take a shot. Um, I saw this today. Uh, Utica is joining the coalition to bring Uber to upstate New York. For those of you who are not familiar with what Uber is, Uber is basically an app-based cab service where you yeah. can uh, you can hail a cab through your phone. It gives you a time. The cab shows up to your house at the time allotted. It picks you up, and it charges you. And it's just regular people in their own cars. Regular people in their sure. own cars. And Utica does not have an Uber. And I had a conversation. It's funny. Even before I saw this article today, I had a conversation at Utica Coffee yesterday for like 20 minutes with somebody about why we don't have an Uber in Utica. Uber, from my opinion, everything I've ever seen, is a really shady company. It gives me the heebs. It's incredibly shady. The idea of it gives me the heebie-jeebies. It's just, it, my thing with this whole bring Uber to Utica, and I saw it, and listen, anybody who wants to come to Utica and do business here, be it Uber, be it Trader Joe's, be it whoever, fine, come. I'll take all the commerce we can Trader get Joe's here. Trader Joe's is coming? Uh, we talked briefly we'll talk, about allegedly. It. But, like, this whole thing with, you know, with Uber, they want to come. Is there really the demand? <clears throat> no. Well, this was a, quote... Uh, from Mayor Palmieri about this. As the city of Utica continues to develop and transform, I believe having Uber available to our residents would be a tremendous benefit for our community. Proud to join and support the NY Needs Uber Coalition as it represents the perfect marriage of technology, economic development, and public safety. Now, here's the thing. Uber would do amazing here. You don't think so? I feel like... You know what? I have so much to talk about with this. I have so many, like, different different points of view. I don't, I don't know if it would do well here because I just don't know. Do we have a, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we not. We have two cab See, services here's the thing. to speak of. We have two cab services to speak of. I, uh, they're not I've super had, reliable and they're heavily overpriced. They're yes. not super reliable. They're heavily overpriced. Do we need a, 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 a more reliable public transportation service or, you know, cab service, whatever? Yeah, I'm sure we do. Unfortunately, I don't have any realm of this because I'm talking from a complete outsider perspective where I've had my own car my entire life and I mm-hmm. utilize it well, I think a lot of a lot, a lot of the Uber comes in. I think a lot of the Uber would specifically come in when people go out and people are drinking. My, the only time I would call an Uber is if I was out drinking. Yes, but here's where here's where you and I differ on the concept because I'm not going to call an Uber if I've been drinking to get a drive home because I've been taught my entire life not to get in the car with strangers. That's a really good point. And I'm a, and I'm a, uh, I'm an intoxicated. 120-pound woman. 30-year-old <laughs> woman. 30-year-old uh, woman. Um, so, like, I'm not, I've been, you know, that to yeah, but me these just people, gives. These people are so thoroughly vetted through the company and they get Do you know that, really, though? Do you not, know uh, that, uh, right, so That's, I can't do it. Right, look, I'll never utilize it. The reason that Uber. You don't go out. That's true. Uh, the reason. Nah, shut up, Sully. We beg you to come out. You don't come out. You I'm tell us you're coming. I'm writing lesson plans and napping. Uh-huh. The reason Uber was so popular in New York City is because at the time, New York City cabs were already overworked, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you a little backstory about New York City cabs, okay? New York City cab, if you want to drive a New York City yellow cab, you need what's called a New York City cab medallion, okay? The medallion Ooh. is what they put on the car and it costs upwards of $700,000. This is why you never see independent yellow cab drivers because Whoa. all the mass transit companies own the medallions, and then they hire people to drive the cars that they own the medallions for. I didn't know that. Uber came into New York and said, we don't have medallions. We just have this app, and they crushed 
New York City's cab business for about a year. Just and the cabbies hated it. They hated all the Uber people. It was a huge issue. Now, I Uber, can I, I'm sorry. Can I ask a question? Yes. The medallions are they? What's the legality of a medallion? Like, are they like? It's just the fact legally that, you have to have a medallion in yes. order to be a cab driver. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Is it a it's federal not, thing? It's it not like, like a, a. I mean, it's not like some mystical so how, like pendant from Legends like, of the Hidden Temple. It's not Agro Craig, but like, right, right. how could Uber come in then and subsequently be a cab service because if they don't have the Uber does legality? Not, Uber does not fall under the relic the regulations of the of the of the MTA. Oh, right? the MTA. They don't work. The, the MTA is a no a mass I don't transit know, authority. State, a mass transit. Mm-hmm. No, it's yeah. The point is, sorry, I didn't Uber that. Uber did really well until people in New York realize some of the shady things that Uber does. I'm not saying that Uber wouldn't be a good thing for Utica if it's used right, but people should do the background information on some of the things that Uber gets a bad reputation for. One, Uber has drivers that are based solely on the, ad, on the basically a star system you give them. You get a good Uber driver, you give them a star, four out of five stars or whatever Like a Yelp review. A Yelp yeah. review for all intents and purposes, right? Uh, or a doctor you, in a van. Right. If you feel comfortable with that, that's fine. Some people don't. The other is that Uber uses, utilizes something called surge pricing, okay? Yeah. When the demand for cabs is more than normal for certain hours or holidays or events. Halloween, yeah, yeah things like, like that. Prices skyrocket. Prices skyrocket to, uh, to compensate the extra demand. It's like a lot, yeah, A lot of times, these price surges are not reported to the passenger until they've left the ride because you don't know how much you paid until you get that text message from Uber after says, thanks for the ride, this costs 20 bucks, whatever Because the way Uber works, they have your card and they just charge you. So it's not like at the end of the ride, they're like, okay, 10 bucks. They tell you at the end. Yeah, Yeah, you you connect your card. It's all routed through cards. You can't pay cash for an Uber. It will not take your money. Oh, no. So these are not bad things necessarily. These are just important things to know about Uber as a company if before they were to we bring, decide to promote If they were to bring Uber to Utica, I think it would do well specifically with college students that are trying to go to bars. Yes. Yeah. Um, specifically with people like that. I think, you know, if this is part of a coalition to bring it to upstate New York, I think that's a good idea because I've been out in Albany and I've been out in Syracuse. Those places it would absolutely crush. Oh, yeah. Utica, we don't need it so bad. I can call Ace Taxi, and they'll show up eventually. And they're expensive, but I got a couple bucks. It's whatever. But, like, with with places like that, if it's talking about bringing it as a whole to, like, the Thruway Corridor, Rochester, Buffalo, Syracuse, Albany, those are great ideas. If we get it by default, that's neat. Maybe I'll call them, but I don't really need it. That being said, for all the things I just went on and on about Uber, I feel like I would be an excellent Uber driver. You're one of the worst drivers that I know. <laughs> That's a big You're one of the worst. You keep your car very clean and you play good music in the car, but you are a bad driver. That's very true. That's very yeah, true. I would be the kind of person that, like, the Uber would show up. You wouldn't up. come. The you'd Uber. get a call for the Uber and you'd be like, ah, I got lesson plans, I'm tired. I'll be I'll be there in ten minutes and nobody talks to you for a week. No, like, I, would, <laughs> I live under a rock. Um... <laughs> The thing is, is like I feel like if I called for an Uber and the Uber showed up and I thought the guy was creepy looking, I wouldn't get in the Uber. That's and fair. That's, and I don't know how that. And I'd be like, "Can I have yeah. the other guy?" See, I thought you only liked creepy looking guys. That's uh, pretty much what my dating we'll history shows. We'll save that for another episode. And my dating as, history. And as for and you know, again, one last New York City thing. As a New York City guy, after a while, I always felt the urge to go back to a yellow cab because at the end of the day, it felt cheaper and. I didn't have to wait for somebody. I could just walk out in the street, see a cab, and be like, ooh, ooh, hand in the air, and they'd pick me up. So the hell with Uber. Um, anyhow, let's move on. Let's move on to something different. Croc Prison. Croc Prison. Let's go back to Croc Prison. Uh, so this is... My the, debut album. <laughs> Croc album. Prison. So this is a, a phenomenal mailbag question. Mailbag question of the week, sent in by good friend of the show, 
Jill Ducato, a.k.a. Okay. Jilly Dukes. Jilly Dukes. All right. By the way, real quick, people, you've been slacking on the mailbag. We need some more. Yeah, yeah. More questions like this, I almost too. sent in a really good mailbag question. That to I yourself. Forgot. Yeah, to myself, and <laughs> then I forgot. Good. I was like, Aaron, what are your interests? And I was like, you well, Aaron, let's talk about <laughs> you it. You can't send mailbag questions to yourself. What you <laughs> have to do is you have to send them to Cousin Joe, and then he sends them in I was going to send it, like, to Anonymous. Wink, wink. It would wink, be, like, wink. an anonymous moment. Um, all right, so this was the this was the question from Jilly Dukes, oh, and this is a great that. question. Go ahead. Which... 1990s-era Nickelodeon game show would you be on if you could only choose one? Did I not just say Agro Craig 30 seconds ago? And you said Legend of the Hidden Temple. That's true. Um, Dude, we I, reference okay, these things. I feel like... I oh, feel my like, God, this is such a good question, For Jill. me, the, the, the snap judgment, uh, almost at this point, cliche answer is Legends of the Hidden Temple. Mm-hmm. But I can't see how you go wrong. You get those absolute Fireballs t-shirts, as long as you're on the right team. Yeah. And there's how you go wrong. But like those two, yeah, but even still, even the worst of those teams, the t-shirts are still pretty tight. I wish I had one. Soups. And then you get to do history questions, which I would love. And me, me and my brother Andy and some other people when we were young, we used to watch Legends of the Hidden Temple all the time. And there would be a period of time where like in my basement at my parents' old house on Harder Place in South Utica, we would try to recreate our own version of the the Hidden Temple from Legends of the Hidden Temple. We'd make like different stations and we watched a ton of that show, and I remember always one. Number one, everybody always got hung up on the Shrine of the Silver Monkey. Always a Shrine. Never of the real quick, monkey. like re- honestly, take a deep breath and just take a look at it. It's okay. easy. Just Your breathe, baby. You're almost there. home. You still got a metal temple guard can't touch you. Just take a deep breath. Put that silver monkey together. It's only three pieces. All right, I'm gonna give you. <laughs> Legends of the Hidden Temple. Wait a minute. Can I just say something really go, quickly? Go. I always watch that show, and I'd always be like. I, if I was the person in that in that thing and the temple guard started jumping out at me or somebody was, like, jumping out, I would be the person that would, like, pass out. Like, I'd be so nervous. I'd be so hyped up that the temple guard would come out try to spook me punch out. Him. And I would either punch him or I'd faint <laughs> because I couldn't, I couldn't control That's how him. I think as an adult I, now. I'm like, temple guard, come see me, buddy. Yeah, I come couldn't do it. Me. I look, couldn't do it. Look, the choice is yours and yours alone, but I have two real hard issues with Legends of Hidden Temples. And this is not even a knock. I love Legends of the Hidden Temples. It's a great show. When we're done recording this, I'm going to go turn YouTube on and put on some Legends of the Hidden Temple. Into is that, it. The, is into that the one it. where you got aggro, Craig? No. No, no that's, that was... Well, um, that's where he's on, going. Don't cut his legs off. I'm sorry. I have two points here that I don't like about... About, uh, <laughs> about Legends of the Hidden Temple. One, if you get stuck with a bad partner and you get eliminated in that first game, what's the point of even showing up? There's eight teams and four out right off the bat. You, you get, get the t-shirt. You get the yeah, T-shirt. But you don't get to put together the silver monkey. No, you're, no you please. If you're, if you're, don't Do tell you know me that if you're, if you're on the green monkeys, the purple parrots, even if you get a, you, even if you get knocked out first round, you get that fire T-shirt. How annoyed would the green you, monkeys T-shirt? How annoyed Stop. would you be though if Stop. you were on a team with two people and you get across? Everybody the water take a drink. First. I quit the show. <laughs> I get across the water first, and then the other person can't get across. The whole your whole life you're sitting in that person like you ruined my chance. Well, you chastise them for the rest of the afternoon yeah. in Universal Studios or wherever you film it. And my other problem I'm, is I agree with you on that. For all intents and purposes, it seems like getting through the temple is pretty much impossible unless you win. Bullshit! Every Kids game. used to win all the time. I, I very rarely remember anyone seeing seeing anyone win it. Well, there's a lot of people who weren't worthy. Here's See, that's what like that, you that's, said, that's, to the silver that's actually that's actually that. what I liked about Legends of the Hidden Temple is like it wasn't super easy to win. Like you watch. 
I, I'm, I don't want to go too far into it. I feel like I know what you're going to say, what show you wanted to be well, guts. on. The answer is Guts. Global Guts. Global Guts is Global the winner. Gu- oh, wait a because second. you want to compete on the international stage, not regular yes, Guts. that's true. But somebody always wins. The thing with Legends of the Hidden Temple is you might go up there and you might just get banged out in those first couple of rooms. Blueberry but think about this. Though. I like that. But think about, think about the logistics of Guts, right? You have three people. This is a showcase for you as an individual to show off your skills. It's you in many events. People can see all the many talented things you can do. And think about how dope it would be to climb the aggro crag. Just think, just simply the oh, actual fact of winning the aggro crag down and holding that piece of the radical rock. Glowing piece of the glowing piece. And then that's, just, why, that's why I bought that Himalayan yeah. rock salt lamp that I have in the library room. Because <laughs> it looks so it's much like, it looks aggro like, aggro the aggro. It does like aggro Okay, so Higgins, what about you? What show would you be on if you could be on um, a 90s Nickelodeon game show? Okay, so... I was on uh, when I went to I went to Universal Studios once with my folks and what was the one that Mark Su- Mark Summers did? Double Dare. Double Dare. We were on Double Dare. You were on whoa! Wait, when? I was I was a child. You were on Double Dare with Mark Summers. Like a filmed episode of Double Dare, no, like a live, or like in a live, okay. live live thing, right? Okay. Uh, so I have a little bit of knowledge of the moment. See, I feel like I would take the Higgins. I was family. five. Like Cindy and Tommy. I was five. And Tommy, that's a good I was, squad. I was five, and what happened was is that they had like the Double Dare stuff, and it wasn't exactly like a legit setup where you got down and you did Double Dare stuff. Was Mark Summers there? Mark Summers was there. He hit okay. my. But here's the thing: he hit my dad in the face with a pie. <laughs> Which is essentially Classic. all I wanted from the whole scenario. I feel like I want to fight Mark Summers now. Yeah, he hit Tom in the face. Don't with the step to Tom Higgins you know unless you want it with me. He's like uh, OCD. OCD. Yeah, I read like, that. About Mark him. Summers. Is I like, didn't know that. Yeah, like he it can't. derailed his career. Actually, he's yeah. on the Food Network a lot now. Yeah. He has that show, like How It's well, Made, where they make different. Yes, foods. yeah. I love that he, show. Uh, he actually was one of the first people to invest in the Food Network, and he made a lot of money off of it. That's one of the reasons he had that show Unwrapped. Was, like, he was one Unwrapped of was a great yeah. show. I used to watch it all the time. Um, so Double Dare was great, but if I have to go down to it and I have to get real serious about it, I'm going with Legends of the Hidden Temple. Aaron, would you be my teammate in Legends of the Hidden Temple? Well, are we Blue Barracudas or are we not She's Blue Barracudas? She's never going to get no, the Aaron's round, the purple, but... First and foremost, I am getting past the first round. Oh, man. She'd say she's coming, then she wouldn't show up. I got my helmet. I'm ready. Um, here's oh, that wall, that wall in the first round. Ra- the first. I can't round. believe we only got two shows out of this because I'm thinking about all the other ones. I'm thinking about like Wild and Crazy. No, I think kids. next week. Oh, oh. Wild, wild and Crazy. <laughs> wild I think crazy next kids. week should be solely. Uh, next week will probably be Thanksgiving and Black Friday, but next week should be dedicated solely to Nickelodeon games. We're doing. We should start doing theme episodes. Wild and Crazy Kids was like kind of before those too. Like, oh. Well, Aaron, if you would come in and be on the show, you would know that that's what we do. All right. Let's let's Love move on. You. Great question by Jill. Getting late. That, that was a little question. Jill, if you want to come to the studio and talk about this further for like an hour, come over anytime. 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 All right. So Aaron won't be I have one. Yeah, you could be me. I have one either or for you folks. Oh, okay. Is it no, it's oh. not. Because that's that's how we know we're getting to the end. One <laughs> either or. One either or. or. Um, all right. So this is a topical either or. I'm trying to buy Agro Craig online right now. Who Keep had going. a worse? Sports weekend. Oh, Ronda Rousey after getting knocked out for the first time in her career, or Peyton Manning who was benched by the Denver Broncos last night for Brock Osweiler. It's Osweiler. Brock Lesnar. Brock Osweiler. Here's okay. I'll, don't ask the guy. No. I'll take. I'll take first on this. Um, I'm gonna say Ronda Rousey definitely had a worse weekend, and here's why. Um, Peyton Manning, number one, he did get benched because he threw like 16, 17 interceptions, whatever that was. 
But in that same game, he broke the all-time passing record. What a weird thing. It is, it is, it is. It is, but, but here's the thing. With a guy like Peyton Manning, he's he's very old. He's had neck surgery. He's been playing forever. You expect, just like when I watch my poor Lakers and I watch Kobe with no legs mm. and no back, every, you know, you expect when a guy gets to the end of his career, he just doesn't have it. This is what's going to happen. So, like, you expect it. Ronda Rousey's a woman who was in the prime of her career. She looked untouchable. She was, you know, 10-0, 12-0, whatever it is. And she, the problem with Ronda Rousey is she matched up against somebody. She's mainly a grappler, a judo person, mm-hmm. a submission person. She matched up with a striker, a boxer, and kickboxer. Who was and, classically trained in those and things. And she was yeah. not, she was like to stand on her own two feet and throw hands and She's strike, not a boxer. She's That's strapping. her weakness. And not for nothing, if you're 12-0, and 0, that's only 12 professional fights. That's kind of She had a worse weekend, though, I think. All that's right, kind of suck just... to lose that. Mystique, though, like one of the things that Ronda Rousey was. Oh no, that well sucks. Is that mystique? Of That's why I say she had a worse weekend. Yeah, the thing about Ronda Rousey is, is that she is a poor sport. I'm not sure. Oh uh, yeah, I've seen. Yeah, I've seen some. Justin of that. Justin Parkinson, Mr. Manuka, agrees with you heavily. He was telling me about this quite a bit last night. Yeah, she didn't oh. touch gloves. She, she punched didn't after touch the gloves. Bell. She punched after the bell. She's um like you know my my uh, my cousin and a bunch of his friends are are. Fighters, so mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly what they do, judo or whatever. I'm not really 100 yeah, sure. So I, I get it. Like we talked about it yesterday when they came over, we had dinner, and they talked about it yesterday. So he said, you know, his point was just like you said. He was fighting a classically trained boxer who has all the bunching skills, and she went in trying to punch this girl out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she did, like you said, she's a poor sport. So I don't like her. I don't mm-hmm. like people who are poor sports. It's just not my jam. I don't like it. It gives me the heaps. <sighs> I think Peyton Manning had a worse weekend because. I don't know. I just—it's just how I am. Mm-hmm. I am a Manning, a Manning fan at heart. I have the Mannings in the best interest. I love them very much, and I felt very bad for him when he got benched because yeah. he's the great Peyton Manning. You don't bench a great one, but um, that's pretty he, much he it. Give us up four interceptions. Well, it was four interceptions, story, and Brock Osweiler was really okay. So, and he's, oh, and, and he's being benched for this week's game. Well, no, he's they not now they're, now they're arguing that. He was injured, plantar fasciitis, plantar fasciitis, fasciitis, rib. He broke a rib, and he. Sammy, what do you say? Who had the worst weekend? He's dead. Oh, I think, I think Peyton Manning had the worst weekend, and I'll tell you why. Because Ronda Rousey is still one of the most popular female athletes in the world. Yes, she is. Regardless of a loss, this is like Buster Douglas' situation for her, right? Like she was Tyson in this scenario, and she wasn't maybe prepared for this fight. The question for Ronda Rousey is what comes next. You have a rematch. I'm hoping that she leaves the UFC and just joins the WWE and wins the women's title because that would be even better. It wouldn't be the worst thing she's done. Well, the people with the tinfoil hats would say that she's going to have the next rematch and she'll win this one pretty handily and then all of a sudden they have match number three and they make all the money. Yeah, that's a good idea. Because not for nothing, the Vegas line did drop very, 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 very sharply 36 hours leading up to the fight. So get your tinfoil hats on, folks. Guys, I think that's all we got for the week. Good show, guys. That was very packed full of stuff. Don't forget to go in and look at our um, yes. GoFundMe. We'll put yes. those links up on Twitter. GoFundMe we'll you heavily on Operation Twitter. Uticast. Thank you, guys. Have a nice week. Grassy. See you when I see ya. Don't get knocked out. Bon jour. Viva la France. <laughs>